You're listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the Internet to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web shapes popular opinion, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com. Emmanuel Chavigian, Senior Vice President, Executive Director of Ruderfin Ethics Consulting, goes on the record online. I usually think I have the answer when I walk in the room, and then you get more information, and you see things differently. So it's never easy. Very often, ethics is a conflict between legitimate values. So it's right versus right as opposed to right versus wrong. Today, we have a one-on-one interview with Emmanuel Chavidjian, Senior VP, Executive Director, RF Ethics, and that is a division of Ruder Finn. Um, as part of my ethical pact with you, the listener, um, Emmanuel asked for the questions in advance, and I did provide him with the questions in advance. I mentioned to him uh, that I was going to let you all know that, and he was okay with that. Uh, I also mentioned it again at the end of the interview when he's on the, uh, on the, on the line with me. Um, he is going to be presenting a, um, a session at the PRSA 2008 International Conference uh, titled Ethical Dilemmas. Um, that's going to be uh, presented on Monday, October 27. 2008 at 10 a.m. in Detroit, where the PRSA International Conference is this year. Uh, the uh, conference runs um, October 26th through uh, um, October uh, 28th. And um, if you uh, have a chance to make it there, uh, please come by and see me. I'm going to be podcasting uh, live from the conference uh, with a number of the thought leaders and presenters and keynotes uh, that will be speaking there. So if you're not a subscriber, subscribe now and uh, attend the conference remotely. I had a chance to speak with uh, um, Emmanuel prior to his presentation at the PRSA International 2008 conference, and uh, we spoke about um, ethical dilemmas. Uh, we spoke about conflicts of interest and, and what determines a conflict of, of, conflict of interest uh, for a PR agency. Uh, we spoke about um, transparency as a model for ensuring ethical behavior, and we also, also talked about ethical remedies to complex problems like the current economic crisis in the U.S. The entire interview is uh, just under 25 minutes, and they're going to play it for you in its entirety after this. Don't be left behind. Get the latest online PR tools and services from iPressroom. Powerful, easy to use, available on demand. Extend your sphere of influence online with iPressroom. Tools for online media centers, virtual private press rooms, RSS news feeds, podcasts, and more at www.ipressroom.com. iPressroom, always on, even when you're off. Emmanuel Chavigian of Ruder Fenn, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Now, Emmanuel, I know you're taking a, a panel on ethics to the uh, PRSA International Conference. Correct. Uh, which is going to be at the end of October in Detroit. Um, tell us about the impetus for this session. Well, <laughs> I thought it would be interesting, instead of having a presentation, uh, that we should have a real discussion. And I asked uh, two people to be on a panel. One is an ethics officer for a major energy company, and the other one is a blogger 
that is uh, concerned about ethics, and I've been on a panel with him before, and he was very good. So <clears throat> basically, we're going to discuss specific cases, and without uh, proposing a solution, we would rather engage the participant in finding the solution. I found those those that format the most most interesting and most engaging. Now, so, when you say you found the format most engaging, uh, how did you come about finding this format? I mean, you tell us what, about what you do at Ruderfin. I have a dual role <coughs> at Ruderfin in ethics. I am the internal uh, ethics quote unquote officer. Um, I have to be called an officer in order to be a member of the uh, Ethics Officers Association uh, of America, and um, so there's training involved because ethics is not always obvious. Um, there is also resolving ethical issues that come up from time to time. Sometimes these issues are purely internal. Uh, things happen that should not happen, and what do we do to recognize it and make sure it doesn't happen again? I'm also a counselor. I keep confidentiality absolutely. Uh, and then there's an external aspect of helping our clients that have ethical issues that come up. And that, of course, involves training as well and finding the best solution. So give us a, 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 the most common ethical issue uh, that you're confronted with in your position. It's difficult because uh, every day you have different issues that come up. Um, there's really nothing typical, and I think that's true in the PR world in general. Um, but, of course, we have conflicts of interest issues. Uh, we have conflicts of interest between our values and our client's values. So we have to make a decision whether we want a certain client to take on a certain client or even resign accounts. And we have resigned accounts because of ethics issues, ethical issues. And so what would an example of an ethical issue be with a, with a client? Well, <clears throat> we have a ethics guideline. We don't call it a code at Woodfin because we think codes are usually left on a shelf gathering dust until it's too late and there's a problem and then you go to the code. So we call it more a guidelines. Um, in our guidelines, there are some specific activities we say we do not want to be involved in. Um, <clears throat> we don't have to have proof. If we believe a, a, a client is involved or potential client is involved in activities such as uh, violation of human rights, uh, being untruthful, uh, causing harm to the environment. So we have a list of about 11, uh, 11 items. And if we think that we would be involved in such activities by working for a client, then we just don't. But we live at a time where one man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter. So how do you, how do you determine truth in difficult issues like that? Truth is very difficult in terms of... of Terrorism, I think that anyone that deliberately targets innocent victims, whatever the cause, uh, is a terrorist in my, in my eyes. But truth is not easy, and I find, and that's probably the most interesting aspect of my work, is when we gather the ethics committee or we gather the staff to discuss a, a particular issue, I usually think I have the answer when I walk in the room, and then you get more information and you see things differently. So it's never easy. Very often ethics is a conflict between legitimate values. So it's right versus right as opposed to right versus wrong. 
in terms of, uh, of, of ethics in public relations, um, the popular perception of PR, we actually see the word PR often used in the mainstream media um, as, as a dismissive tactic, mm-hmm. as an alternative to, to truth. Um, the, the notion of an ethics counselor in PR seems counterintuitive. When you walk into the room at a major corporation, uh, what um, perceptions are you uh, challenged with swimming upstream against? Well, you have to recognize that <coughs> among the values you're dealing with, one of them is making money and being profitable, and that's a legitimate value. However, there are <coughs> some uh, limits, and there are some definitely lines that one should or should not cross. Determining the line is probably the hardest thing because some people have a very strict line and others are more flexible. I think the essence, of course, is truth and <clears throat> being, you know, being, open, being open, being truthful with clients, the media, and the public. Then I think the conflicts of interest between competing clients is, 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 you know, comes up, but it's usually easy to resolve meaning that our rule here is if we think we have a conflict or we have clients that are competing, and that would be by definition a conflict, we inform both clients. And if none of them have a problem, then we don't. If one of them has a problem, then we have to make a decision. So, so is this a sort of litmus test for determining conflicts of interest? I'm not sure there is a, a litmus test for conflict of interest. I think the lack of transparency can be a red flag. There must be some reason if we want to keep some, some information uh, secret. Tell us, if you would, the most difficult ethics dilemma you've ever worked on. Probably is making the recommendation to keep or to resign an account because of conflicts of values between Brutusin and the potential or the existing client. These are difficult decisions. They have financial consequences, but you know, reputation also has a long-term financial consequences. Is there any sort of uh, uh, numerical formula that you're working with to try to predict the impact of resigning business for conflicts of interest? Well, you know, it's pretty obvious that, you know, it will affect the bottom line, and that's a question that we put on the table as well. Uh, But the bottom line is not the only criteria, obviously. I mean, the firm resigned a big account in the early 60s uh, with the, the Greek tourism office because three dictators took over the, the government. And uh, it was a big financial loss, but there was no way we could work for dictators. What about when it comes to politics? Personally, I mean, the firm, Rudolfin, does not work on candidates of any either party or any party. Are we finding divisive for the agency and for the staff? Um, so we've, we've stayed away from politics. So if you're, if you're a, you know, a conservative Republican, you're going to somehow resent that your colleague is working for a liberal Democrat and vice versa. So we'd like to keep a good feeling among our staff. We see uh, today so many um, uh, firms uh, that may not work in politics. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we see the people that work for these firms using these services like Twitter, and often they're using these services to espouse their 
ideology and their political beliefs mm-hmm. and to support uh, a candidate, mm-hmm. uh, to be quite frank. Um, do you think this is unethical behavior? I don't think it's unethical if you are very open about it. I think people should know that you represent a client and and this is that you're behind. I mean, transparency, again, is, I think, key. Uh, but I think, by definition, I don't think it's unethical. CNN recently came out with a social media policy. Mm-hmm. And uh, the social media policy dictates what an employee of CNN can or cannot do, mm-hmm. whether they work in the news division or uh, in, in shipping and receiving, mm-hmm. in social media sectors, because the, the notion was that um, if an employee of CNN takes a political uh, uh, position in a public place, that could be seen as compromising uh, the, the news value and the ethics of the CNN brand. Mm-hmm. Is it realistic that corporations uh, can actually pull something like this off? And if, if, if not, what's the alternative? How do, how do organizations grapple with these social networks that uh, give individuals who work for them the opportunity to put their opinions on the record? And those opinions obviously may not be um, uh, copacetic with that of the organization. Well, I think it's an issue that, that lar- large corporations deal with, with especially with bloggers. Um, in our company, I have a, an ethics blog. I am conscious when I write that I should express the general consensus and ideas of the company and not personally my own, so I stay away from very controversial issues because sometimes it's appropriate to make it clear this is your own personal view and that you don't represent the company. Um, certain large cor- uh, companies actually encourage their uh, staff to write blogs, but they have some guidelines and uh, some lines that should not be crossed. Did White House spokesman Scott McClellan act unethically by authoring a critical account of the Bush administration? Um, I think it all depends on the agreement, the non-disclosure agreement that existed, whether it was implicit or, ex- or explicit between uh, Mr. McClellan and the White House. So I don't know that. The second is whether Scott's revelation was for the greater you know, public interest. Um, Personally, I don't think that he made any revelation that was, you know, life-changing or that could affect the lives of, of many people. Um, so I can't answer if it was unethical, but I would worry about whether there was a non-disclosure agreement between him and the White House that he violated. Well, uh, as, as, as an outsider, as an ethics counselor, um, even in the absence of uh, any sort of uh, non-disclosure agreement, uh, do you see it as ethical or unethical? Uh, I, I really depends. Even if there was no agreement, there's also the spirit of uh, your job uh, when he was hired. I mean, many have written books after they leave. Making a living uh, is a legit, legitimate value. Um, I think you have to look at the, at the outcome and read his book and see if his book was something good for the public or not, but it, it leaves a bad taste uh, in my in my mouth when someone leaves an organization, <coughs> even if it's the White House, and then you know what's the expression to to 
spell the beans? <laughs> so um, if you were working with an individual mm-hmm. and the individual had been a high-ranking official or officer at an agency, a PR agency, and uh, left that agency because uh, the ethics of the agency were out of sync with their personal ethics, mm-hmm. uh, would you advise that that person uh, admit that? to uh, people when they're interviewing for another job? I would say yes. If it's in an interview for another job, but if it's an interview with PR Week, I would recommend that they do not. I think there's a difference as to someone needs to know why you left the company. You may not go into details, but <coughs> you should let your potential employer know what are your values and, what, and why you resigned. If uh, uh, Secretary Henry Paulson sought your counsel on an ethical solution to the current economic crisis in the U.S., what would your recommendation be? Well, there before, first be truthful and transparent about the real situation. The second would be to admit errors of the past. The third would be to indicate the measures that will be taken to prevent them from reoccurring. And then, of course, <clears throat> number four would be to take action to remedy the consequence of those errors. So it sounds, it sounds easy, but it isn't. Four. In terms of remedying the consequence of the errors, what is the ethical thing to do? Well, it, it looks like their $700 billion package is, is what they're attempting to do. I think whenever one is responsible for errors, you must do something to repair the error. It's not enough to admit and to express remorse and <clears throat> to prevent, to take measures to prevent them from reoccurring. You have to do something to either compensate. So this is a big, of course, a big issue that's hard for me to uh, detail because I'm not in the finance world. But in terms of, of resolving uh, uh, an issue like this, to what extent does do consequences uh, play a role? They play a major role. So, so when you say remedy the situation, uh, who should, who needs, who, to whom is, is remedy owed in the case of the economic crisis? That's a very good question. Uh, of course, it's whoever's, whatever, uh, whoever is a victim of the situation. But then it's, again, very hard to define because the stock market is down tomorrow, it is this morning, so I could be considered a victim because my stock went down. <clears throat> so, of course, there must be some limits as to who should be compensated for the, the results of bad decisions. I, I feel I'm very surprised by this whole situation because there's a French proverb that says to govern is to foresee. And it looks like no one, whether government, whether high finance, whether regulatories, uh, agencies, no one saw it coming, and, and, uh, or maybe they did and did nothing about it. It is truly amazing. And this is not just the USA. I mean, it's all over the world. Well, certainly there's... I think we've been let down by leadership. There's been a fair number of high-profile um, uh, pundits in the media who had predicted this, uh, Paul Krugman from the New York Times is one. Right. You know, whenever you have a catastrophe, you will always find somewhere, someone, a memo that said, let's be careful, and no one listened. 
when, when you look at a situation like a, a $700 billion uh, a bailout coming from taxpayers, uh, are taxpayers owed something? I mean, from an ethics standpoint, should the taxpayer be receiving equity in, in Wall Street in exchange for the $700, million, $700 billion. Sounds like a very good idea. I think that taxpayers, I don't think there's no one is ever talking about a new tax for this and that we individually will have to pay. What I think is happening is that some <coughs> government programs are going to be reduced because of that bailout. Um, so it's money that the government already has and it's our money. But on the other hand, doing nothing would harm everyone. So the government had to do something. And I think there's a general consensus. Emmanuel Chevigian from Ruder Finn, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. I, I do want to go on the record um, in, uh, as part of the ethical um, pact I have with the listeners of the program and let them know that uh, you had asked for the questions in advance and I did provide them to you. You did, and you skipped one question that I had a hard time answering, which was, what is the biggest ethical lapse in judgment you've ever made? So I had a hard time thinking of one, so I came up with one. Should I tell you? Oh, yes, please. Thank you so much. And it's called a $1 donation. Okay. It was more a personal ethical lapse that I was able to correct. I was in Boston at a bank teller. There was nobody in the bank, and I found a $10 bill right at the machine. So I looked around to see if there's anybody there that might have left it, and there was no one. I took the $10 bill, and as I walked out... <coughs> There was a homeless person that asked me for money. And I automatically gave him a dollar. That's what I usually do. And as I was walking away, I thought, wait a minute. You have a place to stay. You have food on the table. You just found $10. And this guy asked you for money and you give him $1. What is that? So I turned around, went back to him, and I asked him to return that $1. So he did, a little surprised. And then I turned in the $10. But... The fact that it didn't come to me right away really surprised me. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to do this interview, and I look forward to meeting you at the uh, International Public Relations Society of America conference in Detroit uh, this October 2008. Thank you very much. I'm looking forward to that, too. You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the web to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web impacts corporate reputations, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com.